You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the Old Testament book of Exodus. Here's Nate. Well, in the book of Exodus, we have an opportunity, especially here in the first half of the book, to observe God delivering his people from captivity. And it should be noted that the Hebrew people were the people of God. God had promised their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he would make of them a great nation that he would deliver and bring to the land of Canaan, which he called the land of promise, the promised land. And so when God is delivering the Hebrews from their Egyptian captors, delivering them from their slavery, you're seeing a God who is taking his people And wonderfully, beautifully, and with finality, setting them free. Now, in the process, God is also judging the false gods of the Egyptian world and culture. And so, in one sense, all of these events, all of these plagues that we've seen up to this point, each one of these events is evangelistic in nature because it is communicating to the Egyptian people, and judging the Egyptian gods. And so they were watching all of this. They had a front row seat to see the God of Israel protecting, preserving, defending, and watching over his people, even though it brought them great hardship to endure this kind of judgment from God. The judgment itself was a bit of a evangelistic or grace-filled message from God, showing them the path to repentance, asking them to submit to the one true and real God. And of course, the pinnacle figure in this entire drama is this man named Pharaoh, as far as the Egyptians are concerned. This man declared himself to be God. He received worship and his firstborn son would also receive worship. And as every single plague ticked by, a Pharaoh's heart grew harder and harder and harder. Even in those beginning moments when, you know, simply the rod of Moses, as it turned into a snake, eating up the rods or the snakes of his magicians, even just that could have brought this man to a place of submission and surrender, and repentance. But on and on, plague after plague, his heart only grew harder until we actually find God hardening Pharaoh's heart as well, coming right alongside of him and sovereignly dictating the affairs so that he can bring that full and complete judgment upon this false worship system. And so just a powerful moment here in the book of Exodus. Now, as we approach Exodus chapter 12, we're actually observing God really with that final push in one sense, bring that final plague upon the Egyptians, which would lead to the final deliverance of God's people from Egypt. Yes, the Red Sea is yet future, the complete victory over the Egyptian army, but this plague, the killing of the firstborn male in every household and even amongst the livestock in Egypt was the final straw of decimation that would cause Pharaoh to fulfill the prophecy or the promises that God had made to Moses two times, stating that Pharaoh will 
cause you to be set free. With a strong hand, he will let my people go, God had announced. And so here in Exodus chapter 12, we have now an account of the Passover night itself and directions concerning the Passover, which of course was the night that this angel of death would come and take the firstborn child in every single home and household. It says in verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Now, likely what God is doing here is God is announcing to them a new calendar for them as a people. Uh, Their civil calendar that they had been operating by would have began in September, October, right in that time frame. But here the Lord announces to them, no, this is now going to be the new start to your year, the month of Nisan, a time in March or April. So God is announcing to them a calendar shift, really, in a lot of ways, which is very fascinating. And he's saying, this is now the beginning of the year for you. It used to be there in the fall. Now it's going to be in the spring. This is the beginning of the year for you as my people. And really, what would kick off this brand new year for God's people was the event of the Passover and in the future, a celebration of this original Passover through the feast of the Passover. And so really what God is doing is he's establishing a new beginning for God's people. Now, as we're going to see in this section of scripture, we're going to see that a lamb will be slaughtered, that its blood will be placed on the doorposts of the home, and that the blood, wherever it's found, leads to salvation. And so, in one sense, what we're seeing here is that the blood of the Lamb brings the people to a place of newness and a fresh new beginning in God. And it's so true, of course, that the blood of Jesus offers each one of us a new beginning in him. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so the blood of Jesus, giving us a fresh start, giving us a new beginning. But you know, the blood of Jesus also gives us a fresh beginning, not just in salvation, but also Just in our growth and sanctification as believers, there's not a day that goes by that I am not in need of the blood of Jesus over my life. Whether it's the way that I treated someone the previous day or an attitude that I've harbored within my heart, perhaps a sin that I have just knowingly and unashamedly entered into, something that I've needed to confess and repent of, Perhaps unknown sin, things I don't even know that I'm carrying in my heart, issues that I'm not even yet aware of, that the Lord at some moment down the line exposed my mind to and that I'll begin to discover is wrong inside of me. No matter what it is, 
I wake up every single day and live every single moment of my life with a deep need for the blood of Jesus, the fresh start of the sanctifying power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9 verse 14 tells us, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The blood of Jesus takes us through a purifying process, cleansing our conscience from dead works to be able to serve the living God. So I'm so thankful for the blood of Jesus, the fresh start that is found in him. And so God announces to Moses and Aaron, he says, now now this time that you're in, this is going to be for you the beginning of months. He says in verse 3, he says, tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. Now, as I mentioned already, we're going to move through this text and see the lamb and the way that they were to treat this Passover lamb. And so he addresses the congregation of Israel and says, every man shall take a lamb. And of course, this is interesting because we're in a passage here in Exodus 12 that is so filled with symbolism and typology concerning Jesus himself. Uh, Jesus really is the fulfillment of Exodus 12. He really is the lamb. As John the Baptist announced in John chapter 1, he said, Behold, the lamb of God who has taken away the sin of the world. And one of the things that you have here first about the lamb, which is so symbolic of Jesus, is that before the lamb would be killed, on the 10th day of the month, every man should take a lamb for their own household. And so in other words, what you're seeing here is that the lamb was chosen before it was slain. And of course, Jesus, as Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. And so we know that Jesus was set aside as the lamb that would take away the sin of the world from, as according to Peter, before the foundation of the world. And so here at this moment, the net of salvation grows a little bit wider. In Genesis 4, Abel offered a lamb for himself, In Exodus 12, we see here right off the bat that a lamb would be taken for a household. In Exodus 29, a lamb would begin to be sacrificed for a nation. But when Jesus was crucified, he was crucified and sacrificed as a lamb for the entire world. So chosen before it was slain. Secondly, we also see there in verse 3 that each household was to choose a lamb. This whole feast was going to center around the home. And, you know, really, which I I find that very interesting because it seems at first glance, at least, that the Passover was to be celebrated within the homes rather than within some kind of religious or worship epicenter in 
Israel, like the tabernacle or the temple with the priestly system. At first, before there were priests, before there was a temple, and before there was a tabernacle, there was the home. And in the home, the fathers and brothers and sons, they would gather these lambs and gather their families and choose a lamb to be sacrificed on that Passover night. And if the household, verse 4, is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. Again, another fascinating picture of Jesus. A lamb without blemish. Pilate, as he interviewed Jesus, said, I find no sin in this man. He could find nothing of which to accuse Jesus of. Peter said in 1 Peter 1, verse 19, that Jesus, he poured out his precious blood like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. This totally points to and pictures Jesus, the perfect and spotless lamb. This was the only sacrifice that was sufficient for us to find cleansing of sin. That there would be a perfect and spotless lamb sacrificed and substituted into our place. He says, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Another thing that we see here besides the lamb being chosen ahead of time and perfect and without blemish, pictures of Jesus. Another thing that you see here is that they selected the lamb on the 10th day, but did not kill it until the 14th day. What that tells us is that there was a period where this lamb was tested, a little moment, a season of observation to make sure that this was a pure and a spotless lamb. You know, it's very probable that Jesus, on the 10th day of the month, entered into Jerusalem with his triumphal entry. That was very likely the day that they began to sing and to shout Hosanna and rejoice over him as the potential coming Messiah. It's very possible that then on the 14th day, that that was the day that Jesus was actually crucified, which would be so appropriate. The lamb revealed on the 10th day, the lamb killed on the 14th day. But a period of testing, and and from that moment that Jesus entered into Jerusalem, if you study the Gospels, what you'll see is each day as he went back into Jerusalem, Jesus was tested greatly by the religious leaders. And after he was arrested and went through his illegal trials, he was found innocent there in the religious illegal trials that he went through and the governmental illegal trials that he faced. He was found pure. He was found without blemish during that time. Beyond that, he says, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Another thing that you must see here is that the lamb, of course, was chosen ahead of time. The lamb, of course, was perfect. The lamb was tested, but a lamb that was alive could not save. 
The Lamb had to die in order for there to be salvation. Now, some people try to find salvation in Christ's example, in the wonderful and moral and upright, generous, merciful, gentle, just life that he lived. But really there is no salvation in attempting to just live as Jesus. You must receive what he offered in his death. A dead lamb was the only way that these people could experience life. They'd have to take the blood of that lamb and put it upon the door of their homes. Now, notice the progression here. In verse 2, he refers to a lamb. In verse 4, he refers to the lamb. And in verse 5, he refers to your lamb. And so there's a progression that is unfolding here, an adoption of the lamb. Going from just a lamb to the lamb to your lamb. He must be your lamb personally in order for him to save. Then they shall take, verse 7, some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. And so they would take this blood and they'd put it there on the door. And as the blood flowed and gravity caused the blood to run down the door, this would cause for there to be a cross placed upon the door there. And so they had to take that blood and they had to apply it to their doors. In other words, it's not just good enough for the lamb to die. The blood has to actually be applied to that particular home. And this, of course, points to the substitutionary death of Jesus and that he as our Passover lamb has been sacrificed, 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7, and they had to take that blood and they had to actually apply it to their own homes. And just imagine for a moment how foolish this all would have seemed to the Egyptian people. There you are, you see these Hebrew people on the 10th day of the month taking these lambs, bringing them to their homes and setting them aside for some type of purpose you don't know what for. And then on the 14th day, just a few days later, they take these lambs, they slay them, they take the blood of these lambs, and you watch these Hebrew people going to the doors of their homes and applying this blood. It must have just seemed so surreal and perhaps foolish. And perhaps just as foolish as the message of the cross. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, he said, The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. He said in verse 23 of that same chapter, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. And so, without any shame, or perhaps even with some shame and embarrassment, but with faith, they went out and put that blood upon the doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they ate it. And verse 8, they shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. You know, this is so wonderful because what he explains to them is, listen, you're going to 
kill this lamb, put the blood on the door of your house, but then the flesh of that lamb, you'll cook it, you'll eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire. You're going to eat it with unleavened bread. Leaven often is a picture of sin in scriptures. So with real purity and sinlessness and righteousness, they would eat it. And bitter herbs, probably a reference and a reminder of the bitter slavery that they had been in and that God was delivering them from, they would actually eat the flesh of that lamb. You know, it's one thing to have the blood save you. It's another thing to have the flesh of the lamb strengthen you. And I found that oftentimes people will move away so quickly from the sacrifice of Christ immediately after they feel that the blood of Christ has cleansed them from sin, protected them, washed over them, and then they'll go out to seek to live life in their own strength, and their own power, in their own might, their own ingenuity. And here you have a great model. These people would slay the lamb, but then they would eat the flesh of the lamb. You must partake of Jesus. You must have a personal abiding relationship with and in him one in which as jesus announced there in the gospel of john you are eating of his flesh and drinking of his blood no not physically he wasn't speaking of communion in that particular passage although communion is a wonderful thing for us to partake of he was speaking of an intimacy with him that transcends the mere superficial And so to be strengthened for the journey that was coming, these people had to eat of the lamb. And in order for us to be strengthened for the work that the Lord has for us, the journey that he wants to take us on after he covers us with his blood and delivers us from that angel of death, once we're delivered, he wants to take us somewhere we must eat of him and have relationship with him and partake of him. I'm so thankful for the strength that the Lord has supplied me over the years. And I can't tell you how many times, probably thousands of times, the Lord has in my own heart, in a time of weakness, in a time where I was weary, the Lord has just simply from his word strengthened me, bolstered me, filled me, spoken to me, given me his perspective and his heart. And so here these people, they receive the blood for salvation, but they eat of the flesh for strength. Now verse 9, he says, Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. Now some people think that what this means is that this would be a very public sacrifice and the cooking of it would not be boiled in a covered pot, but a public roasting kind of thing. So the public nature of the cross of Christ. And you shall, verse 10, let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. It's interesting because, of course, it tells us in Psalm 16, verse 10, that Jesus's flesh would not see corruption. And here they announce there will be no leftovers. Leftovers, of course, would spoil. There would be corruption. But there would be no leftovers. They would eat 
all of it before the morning, and anything that was left they would burn. In this manner, verse 11, you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Now, of course, this little portion, as they sat there in their homes on that night, I just imagine the sense of anticipation. What is the Lord going to do tonight? And how is this all going to work tonight? The, the blood is on the doorpost of our homes. Are we leaving? Are we out of fear? What's going on? And the direction was, you need to eat that meal fully dressed, sandals on your feet, staff in your hand. In other words, be packed and ready to go. There was anticipation of soon departure from these people as they ate this meal. And of course, this is wonderfully symbolic to believers today to urge us to live a life as pilgrims within this world. Peter said in 1 Peter 2, verse 11, he said, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So we are to live as sojourners and exiles, in a sense. And especially even as we eat the Lord's Supper, as we eat the bread and the cup, we're, as Paul said, proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26. And so as we eat of communion, we're remembering and proclaiming the future coming of Jesus Christ. So he says, listen, you've got to eat with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. He says, for verse 12, I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. So he announces here, he says, listen, this is a night of great judgment and I am judging every god of Egypt. So not just all these gods of, you know, the river or the sky or the crops. I'm going to judge even the false god right there inside of Pharaoh's palace. Pharaoh himself and his firstborn son. He says, the blood, verse 13, shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you. When I strike the land of Egypt, God announces to them, he says, listen, when I see that blood, you will be saved. Paul said in Romans 5 verse 9, he said, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. The blood of Jesus, all important to the believer, it covers, it protects, it saves us from the wrath of God. God bless you, and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings, or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.